Hey, thanks for joining us for Redemption Church Online. We're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes today, and I do want to give you a quick warning. If you're a parent watching with young children today, uh, this may not be an appropriate message for them. Not that I'm going to say anything crude, uh, but the passage that we're going to look at speaks very frankly about some of the more difficult things that we experience in life, and the message is going to reflect that. So I want to encourage you, if you have young children, uh, to just use your own discretion and decide whether or not uh, you want them to be a part of the message today. One other quick announcement is that we are starting up our small groups this week. It's been uh, just a strange time for everybody, of course, but we're very excited to be starting up small groups. Those are going to happen virtually. Uh, we're going to gather online. Many, many of the groups within our church have already begin, uh, begun to utilize Zoom. And so we're going we're gonna to implement that for our small group gatherings. If you've never been a part of one of our small groups, we invite you to attend. The cool thing about this is you can attend from absolutely anywhere. And so it doesn't matter where you're joining us from. If you want to gather with a group of believers who are meeting together to look at the word together and to encourage one another, small groups are a great opportunity for you to get involved in that way. And so you can just reach out to us uh, through email or online, however you want to do that uh, through our Facebook page, and we can let you know what the options are for small groups starting up this week. So with that, we're going to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Uh, before Easter and before all this started, we were in Ecclesiastes. We spent several weeks looking through the first eight chapters. If this is your first sermon in this series, if you weren't a part of those first several sermons, Ecclesiastes is a wild book. There's all kinds of things happening here. It's At, at times, it's very difficult to understand. It's It can be even more difficult to apply, but we have found it to be an incredibly appropriate and practical book for times just like this. I would encourage you, uh, if you're jumping in and plan on finishing this series with us, to perhaps go back and listen to the first sermon where I kind of set the stage for a lot of the things that happen in this book. I think that might be helpful as you go through the rest of Ecclesiastes with us. But even if you choose not to do that, uh, I, think you'll, uh, I think you'll find a lot of value in the passage that we're going to look at together today. So let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I want to read verses 1 through 12. Indeed, I took all this to heart and explained it all. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in God's hands. People don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. Everything is the same for everyone. There is one fate for the righteous and the wicked, for the good and the bad, for the clean and the unclean, for the one who sacrifices and the one who does not sacrifice. As it is for the good, so it is. So it is for the sinner, as it is for the one who takes an oath, so also for the one who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is one fate for everyone. In addition, the hearts of people are full of evil and madness, as in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead. But there is hope for whoever is joined with all the living. Since a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know anything. There is no longer a reward for them because the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their envy have already disappeared. And there is no longer a portion for them in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and never let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your fleeting life which has been given to you under the sun all your fleeting days. For that is your portion in life, 
and in your struggle under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do with all your strength, because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, or the bread to the wise, or riches to the discerning, or favor to the skillful. Rather, time and chance happen to all of them. For certainly no one knows his time, like a fish caught in a cruel net, or like birds caught in a trap. So people are trapped in an evil time as it suddenly falls on them. Well, this language is nothing new uh, to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. This book is authored by somebody who's simply known in the book as Kohelet. Kohelet means teacher. And the teacher that is is laying out uh, what, what he describes as wisdom often candidly observes some of the most difficult parts of life. And so today in this passage, I want to highlight two facts. There are two facts about life that we find in this passage. The first is simply this, you will die. That is as candid as it can be said, and it is as real as anything else that we experience in life. We know from experience that everyone dies. He says in in verses, let me, let me read the first part of of that uh, passage again. Indeed, I took all this to heart and explained it all. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in God's hands. People don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. Everything is the same for everyone. There is one fate for the righteous and the wicked, for the good and the bad, for the clean and the unclean, and for the one who sacrifices and the one who does not sacrifice. As it is for the good, so also it is for the sinner. As it is for the one who takes an oath, so also for the one who fears an oath. Let me just pause right there. Of course, and we're going to look at this a little bit later. Kohelet is not referring to eternal fate, but he's referring to the reality that everyone on this earth, everyone who lives under the sun, as he so often says, meets the same fate, which is death in the end. The good, the bad, the righteous, the wicked. He goes on to say in verse three, this is an evil and all that is done under the sun. There's one fate for everyone. In addition, the hearts of people are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead. But there is hope for whoever is joined with all the living, since a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know anything. There is no longer a reward for them because the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their envy have already disappeared. And there is no longer a portion for them in all that is done under the sun. What a grim description of the end result of life on earth. But this is Ecclesiastes. Everyone dies, he says. Everyone. The righteous, the wicked, the good, the bad, the clean and the unclean, which would be a reference to those who kept Old Testament law versus those who violated it. One who sacrifices and one who doesn't, another reference to Old Testament law. The good and the sinner, the one who takes an oath and the one who fears an oath, they all die. Same fate in the end, whether you've done good or bad, whether you've been kind or whether you've been crass, whether you've been helpful or whether you've been hurtful, all meet the same fate in the end, which is death. You will die. That's an important reality to be aware of. Not the most pleasant thing to dwell on, but an important reality to dwell on. 
We see here also, there's a, there's, this is a recurring theme in the book of Ecclesiastes, that being righteous, is, is, which is def, perhaps defined a little bit differently in the book of Ecclesiastes than, than maybe we think of it today, but being righteous or, or being religious or being careful to observe religious practices doesn't make you immune to the realities and, and even the tragedies of life here on this earth. He says, this is an evil. That's a phrase that comes up over and over again. It's a book that takes a lot of time to observe what seem to be injustices on earth. Why do the good suffer the same fate as the bad? Why do, why do sinners in, in the righteous end up the same way in the end? Hopefully you're starting to notice there's a problem with that thinking for us as, as Christian believers don't believe that ultimately we do end up the same, but, but in his, in, in his perspective, in this world that we live in, in this life under the sun, there's but one fate and the good and the bad both receive it. I love, I love what he says uh, in verse four, which we don't have to put it back up on the screen. I'll just read it. But there is hope for whoever is joined with all the living since a live dog is better than a dead lion. I mean, you got to understand, we, culturally, we take very good care of dogs. Dogs have it good here in our culture. But if you've ever been outside of Western culture or outside of the United States, perhaps into some developing countries, um, dogs are, are, are not well off at all. Dogs are, they're scavengers. They live on the streets. They fight to survive. They're, they're fearful all of the time. And uh, Contrast that with a lion. He said, it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. This is what he's wrestling with. Koalette's wrestling with the reality that, that even if you don't have it all that great here on earth, it's better to be alive than to be dead. Yet everyone dies. The righteous along with the sinners. There's, there's a popular version of Christianity that's, that's promoted uh, on TV and beyond and in a lot of different ways today, which tells us that if you have enough religious devotion, if, if you do enough good things, or if you do enough of the right things, then, then God promises only good things will happen to you. We call it the prosperity gospel that we can, we can earn only, we can earn a, a life of only good things by being strict adherence to um, the religious behaviors that these prosperity preachers suggest. Well, it's important to know that that is not a biblical description of how things work. In fact, one commentator said something that it's a little bit, um, it, there's, there's, it's a little bit longer than I'd normally read a quote, but I think it's very important to hear. I think he says it really well. He says, the Bible never promises that any human being will know in this life only good health, financial prosperity, and happiness. Moreover, it certainly never ties faith and righteousness to the attainment of these things in any simplistic way. It is true that the way of faith and obedience to God is in the end the blessed way. And God's blessings can include good health, financial prosperity, and happiness. It is untrue, however, that the faithful and obedient person will only and ever possess such things and can somehow be sure of avoiding illness, disaster, and death if he or she can simply muster enough religious devotion. To believe this is to believe something profoundly unbiblical. To teach it is to insult every Christian throughout the past 2,000 years who has known illness, poverty, and misery. 
And to press it on the sick, the poor and the unhappy of the present day is to place a millstone around the neck of those who are drowning rather than offering them the comfort and hope of the gospel. God is much more concerned to make us holy and to shape us in the image of Christ than he is to make us happy, rich, and healthy. It's too simple of a way to view things. It's too simple of a way to view the Christian life to say that if I, if I just do enough of the right things, then only good things will happen to me. We, cert- we certainly have no good biblical evidence that we can avoid sickness or disease or death or financial ruin or any of the bad things that happen in this world simply by being Christians. We know that Jesus himself was crucified. Paul, the apostle Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was believed to have been crucified. Thomas is said to have been speared to death. Interesting. Thomas is the one that, if you remember from from the Easter story, he's the one who wouldn't believe that Jesus had resurrected from the dead unless he placed his hand on Jesus's scars. And so Jesus, when he appeared to Thomas, took his hand and let him feel where the spear went into his side. What's it's, It's said that Thomas himself was actually speared to death. That's how he died. Stephen, we know from Acts chapter 7, was stoned to death. James was stoned and then clubbed to death. This is all just in the first century of believers. To preach that the the gospel tells us that if if we just do enough good or if we live right or that we believe or, or, or live as Christians, then only good things will happen to us flies in the face of all biblical teaching and in of all Christian history. Christians are not immune from the bad things that happen. Kohelet's wrestling with this. Why, why are the righteous ending with the same fate as the unrighteous? Why does it seem to matter whether you live good or bad? In the end, everyone dies. That's the first hard fact that we're faced with here in Ecclesiastes 9. The second is this. You don't know when. Perhaps even worse than knowing that we all one day will die is the reality that we just don't know when he says in, in verse 11, again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong or bread to the wise or riches to the discerning or favor to the skillful rather time and chance happen to all of them. For certainly no one knows his time like fish caught in a cruel net or like birds caught in a trap. So people are trapped in an evil time as it suddenly falls on them. This is a harsh reality. Everyone's going to die and we don't know when. It's a difficult pill to swallow. A pastor friend of mine said it this way. He said, human logic does not apply to the timing of one's death. That's what Kohelet, that's what Ecclesiastes is reminding us. Human logic just doesn't seem to apply. You would think that if you do, if you live your life a certain way, you could be assured long life on earth. It just doesn't work that way. You would think that if you live your life the right way, then only good things would happen to you. It just doesn't work that way. This is the dilemma in the book of Job. Job was considered to be a righteous man, more righteous than anyone in his time. And yet he suffered the loss of his children, of his material possessions, of his health. 
And he suffered the loss of almost everything that he held dear. And his, his friends gathered around to, to join in this chorus of, of the world, which says, if bad things have happened to you, you must have done something wrong to deserve it. But it just doesn't work that way. Job's vision, his, his understanding of who God was needed to get bigger. It needed to get bigger. We see this again and again, not only in the Bible, but in our own experience. I remember, you know, Kim and I, uh, because we have a daughter with, with special needs, we've met a lot of other families through, over the years uh, who have had children who were, were just very, very injured in different ways or sick and in need of a lot of different things. And one of the families that we met probably t- almost 10 years ago now uh, that stands out to me the most was a family from the West Coast who was unable to have children of their own. And so they decided they were going to adopt and they adopted this beautiful little girl from another country and they brought her home. And, and one day there, um, I think it was the dad's father was uh, playing with the kid and, and had, had her in his arms and he ran out onto the street and they got hit by a car. And the grandfather was okay. uh, But the adopted girl was severely brain injured in that accident. And we got to know this family. Uh, we got to um, just really appreciate their heart, their heart for adopting this girl and their heart for caring for her. Uh, the lengths that they went to, to ensure that she had every chance after that was incredible. It was absolutely incredible how devoted they were to this young girl. And we were saddened a few years ago to hear of her eventually passing away. That's illogical to me. And why, why, would, why would a family who attempted to do something so good suffer such a terrible fate? This is the problem. This is, this is a problem in our world and it's the problem of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Things don't go the way they should. Sometimes the, sometimes the healthiest people die suddenly of cancer in their 30s. Sometimes alcoholics and people who have, who have abused their bodies for decades live long on the earth. That's not the way we think it should be, but it's the way that it is. Obviously, it's far better to take good care of yourself. The benefits go beyond the timing of your death than to just live recklessly and think that you'll live forever. But at the end of the day, human logic fails to understand, fails to explain why things happen the way they do when it comes to death. I'm sure as I'm saying this, you're thinking of experiences you've had with people that you've known or loved and cared for whose, whose death just didn't seem right. Perhaps the way they died or the timing of their death. It's beyond human logic. It's beyond our ability to understand. And, and we, we, we find that when, just like Job, we need to have a bigger view of God and what he's doing. We need to have a bigger view of, of how the universe works and, and what life is really supposed to be like. Because it's not as, as perhaps as Ecclesiastes would hint at at times, it's not as out of control as it seems to be at times. It's just different than we think it should be. You will die and you don't know when. That's part of the message of Ecclesiastes 9. But there's another part, and that is the response. Kohelet recommends a certain response. We find this uh, in the middle of our passage, and that response is that we should live the life 
that God has called you to live with joy. Live the life that God has called you to live with joy. In the shadow of death, in the shadow of certain and, and perhaps unplanned death, what, how should we live? What should we do? This is what he recommends. Live the life that God has called you to live with joy. He says in verse seven, go eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and never let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun, all your fleeting days, for that is your portion in life and in your struggle under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your strength, because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. That word Sheol is a, it's a Hebrew word for the grave. He's saying there's, there's no work, planning, knowledge, in the grave where ultimately we all end up. This is his recommendation in light of, in light of these difficult realities of the world that we live in. And in light of these harsh truths, these facts that we know for certain that we will die and that we don't know when he says, live life with joy. Live life with joy. Now I want to be clear from the beginning. There's a very important distinction between the, the, the joy that really is just the pleasure of sin. And it's, it's the pleasure of, of hedonism, of, of, of pursuing your good, no matter what, whether you're doing things that are good or bad or harmful to others or, or whatever. There's, a, there's an important distinction between that kind of joy and the joy that I believe is commended here, which is to enjoy living the life that God has called you to live. It's a life full of righteous pursuits. It's a life full of enjoying. It's a life that recognizes that, you know what? God created this world good. It's one of the first things we learn in the Bible. In Genesis chapter one, God created the heavens and the earth and said, it's good. It's good Yes, sin entered the picture and, and tainted uh, uh, every bit of that creation, but there's still evidence of the goodness of creation all around us every day. And so it's possible even in this fallen world to live life with joy. He recommends a, a, at least three areas here, food, wife, and work. Let's look at these food. Uh, verse seven, go and eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already accepted your works. It's good to enjoy things like food. It's good if you can do it in moderation to enjoy things like wine even. For God has already accepted your works. Take, receive the good things that God has given you. Receive the good things in your life with pleasure with joyfulness, with gladness, with gratitude and thanksgiving. Take, go and eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already accepted your works. That, that's an interesting, interesting way to say it. For God has already accepted your works. I think there's a, there's a balance that we're searching for in this passage. You know, some people don't ever enjoy the good things that they have in life, the good things that God has given them because they're constantly focused on earning God's favor. They never are able to rest in the fact that as believers, as Christians, as those who are in Christ Jesus, God accepts us. He accepts us on the basis, not of our works and our behavior. He accepts us on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. 
And because of that, we can rest. We can rest from trying to earn God's favor. We can rest from trying to justify his love. Jesus has done that for us. And so to those of you who just never seem to find it enjoyable to rest, who never seem to find it possible to, to just say, you know what? Jesus has already done it for me. I would say rest. Go eat your bread with pleasure. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already accepted your works. And we're going to look at the other end of that spectrum in a minute, but in between, in between these two ends of the spectrum is this one. Verse nine, enjoy life with your wife. You love all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun, all your fleeting days for that is your portion in life. And in your struggle under the sun, there's the language here in verse nine. I can't tell. I can't tell if Ecclesiastes is, is saying, this is, is, this is all you get. You get a wife. That's as good as you get. I can't tell if that's a negative, like, oh, great. Here I am on earth and this is the best I get, my wife. Or if it's saying, no, this is, this is God's good gift, your wife. And I think we ought to have that attitude. The people, and you know, not everyone has a wife. Not everyone has a husband, but the people that God has placed in your life, those are one of his gifts. Those are one of the blessings that we get to experience, that we get to go through life with people, whether it be friends or, or family or a spouse. Enjoy the people that God has placed in your life. Enjoy that you get to go through life, not alone, but with people. And if you don't have a spouse, don't despair. Look around you. Who do you have? You have friends. You have family. You have people that are, are placed in your life to, to make this life better. Enjoy them. Enjoy life with them. Take advantage of that. Be glad. Rejoice. Live the life that God has called you to live with joy. And then here's the other end of the spectrum. We have rest. And then verse 10 says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your strength. Because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Rest, rejoice, be glad, eat your food with pleasure, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. But also work. Work. Take, your, take the life that God has called you to live and make it meaningful. Do good with it. Work. Whatever your hands find to do, work. Do it with all your strength because there is no work in the grave. Work while you still can. Be productive. Be fruitful. Do good things on the earth. Live in this tension between, you know what? I get to rest because Jesus did it all. I get to rest in my salvation. I don't need to earn God's favor. But because of that, I get to work for him. Because of that, I get to do good. And I get to do it with all the strength and the energy and the resources and the life that he has given me. Be people who live in that tension of rest and work. Know when to rest and know when to work. Don't neglect one or the other. Do them both and do them with joy. Work with joy. Whatever God has called you to do, do it with joy. Do it with gladness. Rejoice that he's given you the ability to do something on this earth, to be a part of his creation, to be a part of the world that he created and to be a part of his plan and his kingdom. Live the life that God has called you to live with joy. Okay. So that's Ecclesiastes 9, right? But as we've seen all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes doesn't quite go to 
New Testament Christianity or a New Testament worldview that we as, as Christian believers are familiar with. It often comes up short. It's not necessarily contradictory. It just comes up short. One of the commentators that I, that I was reading as I was going through Ecclesiastes 9, he said it this way. He said, Kohelet's faith may not be fully Christian, but it is truly Christian. Everything he says here is, is right. It's spot on. It's, it's, part of, it's part of the Christian worldview. It just doesn't have all of the Christian worldview. There are only so many pieces of the puzzle that we find in Ecclesiastes. We have to turn to the New Testament to perhaps add some other important pieces of the puzzle. But here are the pieces that he offers he, he's, he says uh, of, of chapter nine that we can learn here that God is God and we are not. That's an important thing that's come up many times in Ecclesiastes already. We're not God. We're not in control. We don't get to determine how everything in life turns out. Secondly, God's ways are beyond us and beyond our control. Thirdly, Christians encounter the same range of human experiences and difficult realities as everyone else. Okay, so those are all good New Testament biblical truths that we can find in Ecclesiastes 9. But we have the New Testament. And so we want to go beyond that. So that's been my, my, my challenge throughout this series is to try to stay in Ecclesiastes as long as I can. Let's get as much truth. Let's, let's get as much wisdom as we can from Ecclesiastes, but not be afraid to then supplement that with the light of the New Testament. And so there's one more thing on your handout, one more set of fill in the blanks. This is the New Testament light that I want to add to the message of Ecclesiastes 9. And that is this, this life is only the beginning. In Kohelet's world, this, this life under the sun, he, he makes no attempt to look beyond the grave. He talks about the same fate coming to the righteous and, and to the sinners which is death. And that's true. Death is the same fate that we all share, but we know because of the new Testament perspective that there's life beyond the grave and that the righteous and the sinners don't necessarily suffer the same fate. When we get past the grave, this life is only the beginning. I want to read Revelation 21, which is the very last book of the New Testament. And it's appropriately so because it speaks of things that are going to come into the very end of, of, of human history here on earth. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 8. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed. And the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, 
sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Revelation sheds important light on Ecclesiastes 9. Because in the end, there really isn't just one fate for everyone. Life on earth may end for death for everyone, but life beyond earth, which extends into eternity, has very different outcomes. Those who have put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ to be their savior because of what he did on the cross by dying and how he rose from the grave to save them, they will have eternal life. Those who have resisted and rejected salvation in Jesus will get what their sins deserve. They will be eternally separated from God. This is, this is the New Testament perspective that Ecclesiastes 9 is not yet aware of. That God will do something very significant beyond the grave. That this life here on earth is only the beginning. And so for those of us who believe in Christ, we have this hope. We have this hope that death is not the end. We have this confidence that we will one day be with God, regardless of what we endured on earth. We spend eternity with the God who wipes every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And so though, although we live in the shadow of death, Although we live with this, this reality that perhaps it, we'll, all, we'll all die, that's for sure. And perhaps we don't know when. And that can create fear. We're called to live the life that God has, has given us with joy. Because we not only live in the shadow of death, but we live in the light of eternity. We have in front of us an eternal, glorious future with Jesus Christ, our Savior. And because of that, we can live this life with joy. One eye on the certain death that might come any day and one eye on that glorious eternity that awaits us as believers in Christ Jesus. So live the life that God has called you to live with joy. How do we apply this? What does this mean? Those of us who are alive and and hearing this today, you know, we got to rest in what Jesus has done. And yet we got to be committed to use all of our strength to work while we still have life and do all of those joyfully to enjoy the good things we have. You know, all of us have lost a lot lately. Some have lost much more than others, but all of us have lost a lot lately. It would do us good to focus on what we still have. It would do us good to stop and appreciate perhaps an enjoyable meal with the people around us to enjoy some just time together with the people that love us and the people that make our lives brighter to live, to live in the shadow of death, but in the light of eternity and to do it with joy. Also, I want to speak to those who have lost loved ones, perhaps in an untimely or maybe in in what seems to be an unmerciful manner. Cause I know this sermon brings that to mind. If you've ever lost someone that you loved in what you perceived to be too soon, or if you've ever lost someone that you loved in a difficult way where they suffered, I know that comes to your mind as you think about this. Well, I want to remind you of a couple of things. One, Jesus, he died young and he died a painful death. In fact, as I've been thinking about the, the, the pandemic and 
Um, I can't help but think what would happen if I got deathly ill. Uh, I know it's unlikely, but I can't help but think of the possibility and, and this idea of, of being placed alone in a hospital room without your loved ones around you as you approach death's door. How would I handle that? One of, one of the things that I hope I would be able to do in that moment is to reflect not on my own suffering and dying, but to remember that Jesus suffered and died for me. And so if you've lost someone in a difficult way, let me remind you of what Jesus did. At just over 30 years old, he laid down his life. He died an excruciating death and he did that for you. And he did that for your loved ones. And so have so many of his followers since. In other words, your loved ones in good company. As much as that might be hard to accept, the fate that they suffered as their life here on earth came to an end is nothing new. In fact, our Savior suffered something very similar and yet something far worse. Let me also remind you of, of these verses in Revelation 21. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. You know, this life's full of difficult realities. But we face those in light of a glorious eternity where all of our pain and all of our suffering will be washed away by the love of our Savior. And it's coming much sooner than we think. You know, life here on earth just doesn't last all that long. There'll be a day when we'll be together again. There'll be a day when we'll be together in the presence of our Savior. So take heart. I hope that's comforting to you. And then finally, I want to speak to those who don't know Jesus as your Savior. If you don't know, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Savior and begun living your life as, with Him as your Lord, not only are you risking oh, horrible things in eternity, but you're missing out on a great privilege here on earth to live life with true joy, not just the fleeting pleasures of sin but the joy of knowing that we serve a God who's in control, even when our world seems to be in chaos, the joy of knowing that, that Jesus makes all things right for his children in eternity. And so I want to invite you to salvation. I invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ today to receive him as your savior. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. It's true. It's true. It's hard to be reminded of our own mortality. It's hard to be reminded of our lack of control over when and how that would even happen. But it's important. It's important to be reminded that you don't call us to figure all of that out. And you don't call us to seek to control all of that. What you call us to is to live the, the, a life according to your will and according to your word and to do it with joy. To live in the shadow of death but with the light of eternity. I pray that you would help us do that. Help us, especially during uh, this time of, of, of fear and anxiety over what might be, over what could happen. Help us to be joyful. Help us to live in light of eternity, knowing that there's nothing that could happen to us here on earth that can't be resolved in heaven as we are in your presence. 
And Father, those who are struggling with the pain of losing people that they love, comfort them today. Remind them of heaven. Remind them of your goodness. Remind them of your promise to wipe every tear from our eyes, to remove death and grief and pain from our existence forever. And finally, God, for anyone who has not received Jesus Christ as Savior today, would you draw them to you, cause them to have faith and to believe that what Jesus did on the cross was for them and to be saved forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We'll continue in Ecclesiastes next week. Hope to have you uh, with us then. Let's continue on and worship together today.